You're listening to Spoonie Tea Time, where we talk about faith, books, and chronic illness. I'm Holly Conklin. I was diagnosed with arthritis shortly after graduating university, and this radically shaped my life, my faith, and my way of interacting with the world. Join me for a glimpse into the life of the chronically ill. Hello there! This week, I finally got around to watching Joker, which I know I'm over a year late now, but it's one of those movies I've been curious about since before it came out. Joker is one of my favorite villains, and I find him a very interesting character, but I also kind of figured I wouldn't like this particular movie. I assumed it would be disturbing for obvious reasons, and it is disturbing. Not quite as bad as I was expecting, though. And uh, actually, my biggest problem with it, which I was not expecting, was I found it very slow and kind of boring. I, uh, I don't know what happened to my attention span. I would have thought that being unable to do much of anything would have lent me a longer attention span. I mean, I've spent so much of the last three years of my life not even able to fiddle with my phone or what have you. Like, I would legit just stare at walls for half an hour or more a lot of the days or ceilings or what have you. It was a a pastime of mine, very exciting. So why I can stare at a wall for half an hour and be not actually that bored, but I can't watch Joker. I, I don't know why that is. Who knows? God knows. That's enough. That said, it did seem like a pretty well-made movie in terms of all the details. I did appreciate the musical choices. It seemed to work really well. Obviously, fantastic acting. Most notably, though, were the narrative choices, which I thought were rather interesting, especially in this political climate we find ourselves in. It's strange thinking that this came out before the pandemic and before all the riots and whatnot in the States. Watching it almost feels like watching American news in some ways, obviously a bit exaggerated, but you're like, oh look, they're attacking policemen now. Oh look, everyone's raging at the fascists, like Antifa anyone? So my favorite part of the movie was not actually the movie itself, but the commentary on it by Jonathan Pajot, who I really respect. He's a YouTuber who talks about symbolism, largely in stories, but also pop culture, politics, that sort of thing. And I really enjoyed how he picked it apart and showed how it subverts so many political narratives all in one. There's something for everyone to be uncomfortable with, which might actually make it in some ways a pretty moral movie as far as they go, because I think it does challenge the way the right views things as well as the left, you know? Like, it simultaneously shows how the rich elite are total jerks and trampling down on the citizens of Gotham, while also showing that the underdogs are reacting in a very bad way by burning things and murdering and, well, idolizing a complete psychopath. So as much as I didn't like the movie and would not watch it again and probably wouldn't recommend it to many people, I do think it's an interesting one to talk about and to think about. 
But if you do want it and you're curious about all the crazy narrative stuff going on that just completely flips everything on its head, I would recommend that YouTube video by Jonathan Pajot, which I will link in the show description. A few days ago, I finished the audiobook for Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson, which, I mean, the book was amazing. I wasn't a huge fan of the narration, but it wasn't bad. It just, I don't know, it did things with the characters' voices that I wouldn't have pictured if I was reading, but that is the price you pay for hiring someone else to read a book for you. This is another one of those Brandon Sanderson novels that I just picked up because it was on sale. All the books I've read of his I have liked, so that seemed like a good plan, and so far I have not been disappointed. I think Warbreaker might be one of my favorites that I've read of his, if just because it's self-contained, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, it's not part of a series that he's just not finishing. (laughs) I've already hit a couple pretty dramatic cliffhangers in his books, and I know there are more. He works on multiple series at once somehow. I think he pumps out a couple books a year on average. It's crazy. This book was about two sisters, princesses in a mountain kingdom that's being threatened by war from this giant empire nearby. In order to prevent war, one of the sisters is given up for marriage to the god king of this other kingdom who's rumored to be this horrible, horrible person with supernatural powers and whatnot. And so the story is about her going off to this completely culturally different place and being forced into marriage while her sister is trying to rescue her and prevent a war or at least prevent damages if a war does occur between the two kingdoms. Really good character arcs. I love seeing how these sisters interact with this completely different culture, and they both come from the same place, so they have the kind of same backdrop for their culture shock, but they're completely different personalities, so it's kind of fun seeing how they both react totally differently to this new land and how they adapt to it and move forward and grow as people. And then just the magic system and world he created. Again, I don't know how he does it. I'm not going to go into too many details here, but I wanted to share at least a little bit because it's such a fun system. But every person in this world is born with a breath and they can give that breath away. And this breath, I don't know if it's ever fully defined, which I kind of appreciate in the story. They reflect on like they study it and they study how to use it, but it's kind of nebulous and even the top scholars don't fully understand what's going on. But what we do know is that you can give this breath away to someone and when you have more breath, you're able to see the world in a far more vibrant and colorful way. So you start seeing colors more brightly. You start being able to distinguish sounds more clearly. And when you collect enough breaths, then you end up actually bending the light around you and making the world more colorful around you. And you can use the breath to awaken objects and make them sort of alive for a period of time. And 
It's just, I think, really fascinating system. And I have no idea how this man can come up with so many crazy systems. I mean, I feel each book I read of his has a completely different world. I don't know how much research and planning he would have to do for these, but then somehow he's able to come out with two books a year? What? If you haven't read anything of his, I would highly recommend to pick something up. In my experience, probably about anything you pick up of his is going to be decent, so you may as well just choose something that calls to you. And the nice thing about his works, too, is that they're usually pretty clean. He invents swear systems that, at least to me, don't feel cheesy or corny. They fit with the world. Like, for example, in Warbreaker, I talked about the importance of breath and how that makes you see more color. So color is a very important thing. So people will swear by saying colors instead of something a bit more vulgar. But it results in a book that to me feels natural without being unpleasant. I'm not one who thinks that you can't swear in any context or in any book, but I do tend to prefer things to be cleaner if uh, possible. And I do see that with Sanderson. You're not going to see him more like blood and guts and sex and drugs and all that than is necessary for the story. So it feels safer to read it and just more fun and pleasant. And you can recommend it to a wider variety of people, which is nice. Congratulations, everyone. You have made it to the second month of 2021, and we are still around. Things have been insane. I personally didn't expect anything different. Um, it felt kind of exciting to start a new year because 2020 was garbage, at least in terms of global news. I think everyone agrees on that one, but I don't think 2021's looking much better. Which raises the question, how do we respond to what's going on? And should we even be responding? Should we be paying attention to the news and how closely? My thoughts on these topics are constantly evolving. I have been all over the place in terms of how closely I follow the news. To be honest, most of my life I lived under a rock, but more recently I'm a little bit more cognizant of what's going on. But I don't necessarily think that's always a good thing. I was raised to, at least people tried to raise me, to think that following current events, it makes you a better person, that I don't still know what the argument was for that. I always thought, why would I follow what's going on in France when I have absolutely no control over it? And I still kind of feel that way, even though I have been paying a lot more attention to what's going on, I don't generally encourage other people to do the same. I mean, yeah, some people probably should follow the news, but not everyone. And I think one of the worst things you can do is follow the news unwisely. I know I've had to take a step back from how much I'm paying attention to things because I saw how it was affecting me and my family. And that's okay. As much as it's probably a good thing to know what's going on in the world, there are many good things and we do not have time for them all. So we do have to pick and choose according to our circumstances. So how do we pay attention to things wisely? 
That's something I've been asking myself for a while now, and I definitely don't have all the answers, but I hope I'm closer to them than I was before. But as per usual, my goal here is not to tell you how to live life, but to get you thinking about how to live life, and maybe you all can teach me some things as well. I'm going to start off by reading a social media post that I came across recently, which I found very interesting coming from someone who I understood to be very involved with the state of things and really caring about informing people what's going on and making a difference in the world. And he said, Reform your own heart and mind. Reform your family. Reform your church. Reform your community. Reform your county. Reform your district. Reform your state. Reform the country. It all starts with you. This obsession with national politics is a waste of time. I really appreciated hearing that from someone who, again, is very involved with world news and all that, and cares about the country and cares about reforming things, but he understands that it all starts with us. We cannot address the darkness in the world when we don't address the darkness in ourselves first. And I think anytime the state of the world and my concern for it gets in the way of me remembering and addressing my own sin in darkness, that's not good. It gets into the realm of looking at the speck in my brother's eye when I have a whopping plank in my own, as Christ would say. And I think that extends to not just paying attention to the news, but when we're engaging with anyone. This is something I super need to work on. I keep trying to fix everyone else, and meanwhile, I'm just being a hypocrite in the corner, just completely a mess. My life is in shambles. And I have the audacity to think that I can fix my family or my friends or what have you. And this isn't to say that I can't be of assistance and I can't make a difference in anyone else's life but my own. But I'm going to do a much better job at helping other people if I first understand my own sin and deal with that. It's probably worth noting that when Christ in the Gospels is talking about judging others, he tells us to first take out the plank in our own eye so that we may see clearly to take out the speck in our brother's eye. We are still called to help out our brother and help them address that speck, but only once we've understood our own failings and can come at it from a place of humility and coming alongside them rather than above them. And I've noticed that with paying attention to the news in particular, it really feeds into pride, and I know it's done this in my own life. I mean, who of us hasn't seen what's going on in the world and at least at one point thought, wow, these people are idiots, I am so much better than they are. Maybe we don't say that in the exact words, but I think we all do that. I know that watching all the stupidity of what other people do in the world makes me puffed up, and it also makes me forget my own stupidity. It makes me forget that I have that same darkness within. It's so easy to forget that if I am not falling into a particular vice, it's not because I am a particularly awesome person, but because of the grace of God. I mean, I've been raised in completely different circumstances than these people I'm mocking, 
And who's to say that if our situations weren't reversed, I wouldn't be so much worse than they are. So I'd really have to work on reminding myself, there but by the grace of God go I. I am no better than any of these people I'm witnessing on TV. I am no better than Trump or Biden or whoever I'm judging. In fact, maybe I'd be a lot worse if I was in their shoes. And I think this approach to engaging with the world has been helping me address my own sin and darkness in a positive way. When I see people doing all these horrible things, being racist and murderous and liars and cheats and all that, I have to remember that all this is within me as well. And it's an opportunity for me to go to the all-merciful God and ask him for that mercy for me and for these people I'm watching on TV. So my best advice is that if you notice that your engagement with current events is causing you to be more puffed up, then please take a step back. I say this for your sake. I know from personal experience how damaging pride can be. I should do a whole episode on this. It's one of my biggest vices and I don't want to see anyone falling into that. Another unpleasant thing to fall into is anxiety and boy do we know that the news thrives off anxiety. Major news corporations are in it for the money. They have agendas. We know this and we know that they love their sensational stories and still we devour it and give them more fuel to fire our fear of the world and of our neighbors and of the future and all that. It's really hard not to be anxious about things when we hear what's going on, even if they're not sensationalized. I mean, we're living through a pandemic. There's a ridiculous amount of unrest in the states to the point where many Americans feel like there's going to be a civil war. The economy is in shambles, and I don't know what's happening to that. And those are just all the general things that you can be worried about. And here's where I think it's a really good idea to lock yourself into some really solid Christian teaching and practice. I heard one Christian teacher who emphasized that while it's all well and good to read the church fathers, these ancient Christians who lived the good life and have been quoted for generations for their truthful and wholesome insights, we should never read the church fathers more than we pray. I thought that was really interesting because I've always grown up loving knowledge and devouring it where I could, and the Church Fathers, apart from scripture, are about the best source of knowledge I think you can glean. And yet, here was a respected Christian teacher saying, don't do that more than you pray. Make sure that your life is balanced, that while you're learning things, you're also putting them into practice. And I think that applies with the news as well. If we should be careful how much we engage with truthful Christian teachings, how much more so should we be careful with how much we engage with the news? And I do believe it's a dangerous thing to do to pay too much attention to current events without first being grounded in Christ, in who he is, in the church, in Christian practice, in prayer, and all that. When we read scriptures and delve into good Christian writings and attend a church regularly and pray daily and make those things a priority, 
that's when we start being able to see the world as we should, as we are meant to, as part of God's ultimate plan and purpose, as being in his complete control, and we start to get a better sense of the bigger picture of the overall narrative of the human race and where we fit into it. And when we do that, it's so much easier to be less anxious, especially when we start considering the big, big picture of how God has already defeated death and he is going to completely vanquish evil and we won't have to deal with it anymore if we stick with him. And it's so much easier to remember these promises and realities when we are regularly engaging with scripture and putting it into practice in our own lives. It helps us see the purpose and what's going on and see a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Which, for me, makes all this political garbage feel so much more bearable and almost a source of joy. I mean, if what I'm facing now as a result of the state of the world is transforming me into who I'm meant to be in Christ, then is it not worth it? Every worldly setback we face is temporary, but all things work out to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and that's an eternal calling, by the way. So these temporary setbacks, while annoying in the present, if we engage with them in a way that glorifies God, then we will reap the benefits eternally. And that, for me, is a very encouraging thought. The bottom line is that whatever I'm doing, whether I'm not paying attention to anything or whether I'm devouring the news like crazy, my attitude and life needs to be grounded in Christ's teachings and that through that I need to be reforming my own life first and foremost and paying attention to the people I'm actually interacting with. As I've mentioned, the way I interact and think about current events has been constantly changing over the years, so I might come back to this topic from a different angle in the future, but for now, these are the main things I've been thinking about as we enter 2021. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and want to support more content like this, you can do so financially at buymeacoffee.com slash time. You can also help out by giving us a rating and a review on iTunes or your chosen podcast platform. Until next time, rest hard and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.